morning, all. So good to see Brian and Esther and their family back. Have you back in Tulsa? We're we're excited about that. We're excited about seeing you guys on a regular basis again. We're going to talk about church this morning. Uh oh, that's right. And so, since we're going to talk about church. I have found a little church humor that I thought you might like this morning. Here's the top ten ways to know that you're in a bad church. The church bus has gun racks. Might be a bad church. The church staff consists of the senior pastor, the associate pastor, and the socio-pastor. Might be in a bad church. The Bible they use is the Dr. Seuss version. There's an ATM in the lobby. Actually, that's from a real church that has a real ATM in the lobby. They might not find this particular sermon illustration quite as humorous. Uh, how about the, the choir? We don't have a choir, but the choir wears leather robes. Dave, I didn't know you were in the choir. How about the worship services or BYOS, bring your own snake? No cover charge, but communion is a two-drink minimum. You might be in a bad church. How about this? Karaoke worship time. There's actually a CD, several of them actually out, karaoke worship time. Or how about this? The ushers ask, smoking or non-smoking? And then the last sign, the top ten ways you know you're in a bad church is the only song that the organist knows, and I guess that would be Jim Downing, is Inagata De Vida. <laughs> Fortunately, Jim knows that one, but he knows other songs as well. The announcement that I'm going to read now came in a little bit too late to get in this morning's bulletin, so I'll read it to you. To make it possible for everyone to attend church next Sunday, we're going to have a special No Excuse Sunday. Cots will be placed in the foyer for those who say, Sunday's my only day to sleep in. Visine will be available for those with red, tired eyes from watching TV a little bit too late on Saturday night. We'll have steel helmets for those who say the roof would cave in if I ever came to church. Blankets will be available for those who think the church is too cold and fans for those who think the church is too hot. We will have hearing aids for those who say the preacher speaks too softly. And cotton for those who say he preaches too loudly. Scorecards will be available for those who wish to list the hypocrites present. Some relatives will be in attendance for those who like to go visiting on Sunday. There will be about 100 TV dinners for those who cannot go to church and cook dinner also. One section will be devoted to trees and grass for those who like to seek God in nature. And finally, the auditorium will be decorated with both Christmas poinsettias and Easter lilies for those who have never seen the church without them. Oh, come on, Forrest, it's not that fad. <laughs> As with all good humor, and it's debatable whether this was good humor or not, there must be an element of relatable truth to make it a little bit funny. And this particular announcement represents some truths about some people's commitment to the Lord and to each other and to how we do church together. And so does a cartoon that I found. Peanuts cartoon. Lucy demands that Linus change the TV channels, and then she threatens him with her fist if he doesn't. 
what makes you think you can walk right in here and take over, asked Linus. And then Lucy says, these five fingers, says Lucy. Individually, they are nothing, but when I curl them together like this into a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. What channel do you want, asked Linus. And turning away, he looks at his own fingers and he says, why can't you guys get organized like that? The truth is, folks, there is power when we are together. There is power to accomplish more than we can accomplish working on our own. There is power in our personal lives. There is power in our individual walks with God that's not possible when we are isolated from one another. There was a time in my life when I didn't really understand this truth, this truth about strength in numbers which is part of the truth about our time together as the body of Christ. There's strength available for you and for me in commitment to a common purpose, in commitment to one another. In fact, even in my early days at TCF, I didn't grasp this. In my first six or seven years when I was here at TCF, I was a fairly regular attender, but I have to admit I could find a wide variety of reasons to miss the Sunday service. Most of these reasons I wouldn't consider personally adequate for me today. I typically, for example, slept in later in those days than I do now, and I love to sleep in on Saturdays and Sundays. And it'll tell you how much I love to sleep when you consider the fact that the service at TCF didn't even begin till 10.30 in those days, and I'd still use that as an excuse to occasionally miss church. Another thing I remember about those early years that I attended TCF is that there was a very strong culture of devotion and commitment to being in church to the point, actually, that it might have been a little bit unhealthy because of the amount of time that you were expected to be here. So I was definitely going against the grain. I was asked in the early 1980s to consider taking the leadership training course that was then a prerequisite to being a house church leader here at TCF. But then I learned about the level of commitment that that required weekly meetings for the leaders, often more than once a week, and even in addition to the house church meetings. So we're already looking at Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night or some other night for your house church meeting, but then there was an additional meeting or two that the leaders had to be part of. And I said, no thanks, I don't want that. There was the unspoken idea that if you didn't show up for everything there was to show up for, Sunday morning, Sunday night, house church, leaders meetings, Bible studies, outreach opportunities, you name it, then somehow you weren't worthy. Somehow you weren't living the Christian life adequately. Now, that was never spoken, but that's kind of the vibe that I got, observing things. So in some ways, TCF is a long way from that place. The pendulum has definitely swung. But if you think of that analogy of a pendulum, what usually happens with a pendulum? It swings from one extreme, and then it swings to another extreme. I've been wondering recently as we, if we as a fellowship have in some ways perhaps to swing to the other extreme of the commitment scale. From the one end of the pendulum swing where the church expected you to be at everything, every time, without excuse, to the other end of the pendulum swing, which can lead to the perception that it doesn't even really matter that much when or how often we show up at church or how involved we are. Now, when we come or when we get involved, it's convenient for us. Have we swung a little bit too far? 
to that extreme. Now let me be quick to note two things here. First of all, if the shoe doesn't fit this morning, don't wear it. You understand the, uh, that analogy, that, uh, that, that illustration, if the shoe fits, wear it, okay? Well, if it doesn't fit this morning, don't wear it. That is, if you know that this admonition this morning does not apply to you, then just consider today's message, a call from the Lord to stay faithful, and a reminder that when you are tempted to slip from that faithfulness, that this is what the Word of God says, okay? Many of us here are incredibly faithful, and no one could actually, with any just reason, pick on you for how often you're here or not here, or how fully connected to the body you are. And secondly, I also don't believe I ever want to return to the other end of that pendulum swing, that place that I think TCF was in 30 to 35 years ago. Now, I wasn't in leadership then, so please recognize I'm not necessarily speaking for the elders here. And I'm also not knocking the leadership that was in place at that point when I came to TCF. I loved TCF then, and I love TCF today. So I'm just recalling for you my observations as one who sat in the seats each week, and I related to a lot of people, and I saw what was going on, and I believed in this time 30 to 35 years ago at TCF on some of these matters of commitment and church attendance, it bordered on being a mentality of works, that I had to live up to some kind of a standard. And in some ways, it seemed to lack a little bit of grace. I really don't want to or think we should, as a church, go back to that. The leadership of this church always wants you, as individuals, to hear from God for yourself what you're to be involved with here at TCF. Okay? Clearly, there are legitimate reasons to miss a Sunday service. Being in church is not about living up to a standard, just like being a Christian is not about living up to a standard. Being a Christian is about responding to the free gift of God's grace. So being in church is about the same thing. It's a part of that. It's about being the church. It's about being a family. It's about being this little corner that we are of the body of Christ. But the reality is that it hurts you and it hurts me when one of the family, part of the body, is not here. It hurts your ability to encourage us. It hurts your ability to stay fully engaged and connected to the body. It hurts your ability to serve where God would plant you. It hurts your ability to stay alive and well in Christ. And it hurts our ability as a fellowship to do all that we're meant to do in Christ. Think about this. When someone loses a body part in an accident, sometimes that part can actually be reattached medically. Let's assume we're, for a moment here we're talking about a hand, okay? A hand that is cut off in an accident could possibly be reattached, but it's critical that it be done very quickly. And it's critical it be done quickly for two reasons. First of all, that hand will die quickly. The, 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 the tissue will begin to decay without the life-sustaining flow of blood, which happens naturally when it's part of the body. Secondly, though the body can survive without a hand, it's not easy. It takes the development of other body parts to make up for what's missing when that one hand is gone, to kind of pick up the slack. And there may be some things that that body will never be able to do again without that body part, in this case, the hand. Now, this analogy of the church 
as a body with parts, or as some Bible versions say, members, is one of the Apostle Paul's favorite word pictures of the church of Jesus Christ. We read it in 1 Corinthians 12, and this is a long passage, so you'll have to bear with me here, but I think it's worth reading here this morning. It's 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 27. And Paul writes here, The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So what Paul is writing about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is a mutual dependence on one another. No matter how great your giftings, no matter how good you think you are, you cannot function alone. That dismembered hand that we talked about a moment ago, it's ridiculous to think that that hand can do anything at all without being attached to the body. That sounds like a horror movie, doesn't it? A hand kind of moving along trying to do things on its own without the body. We live in a culture now, folks, that values independence. We see this more and more. People want independence from authority. They want independence from other people. No one can tell me what to do. Don't we see that attitude in so many parts of our culture? It's the idea that I can do it by myself, even that I can decide for myself everything that's right or wrong. While independence is certainly an asset in some respects and in some contexts, it's actually not the highest level of personal maturity, especially for those of us who are believers in Christ. There's another state of maturity. It's not independence, and it's certainly not dependence, except when you say we depend on God. That's another context. The third state relates to our body analogy this morning, and it's called interdependence. The person who is interdependence is fully developed as an individual. This person knows who he or she is and for what purpose God has created him. And this person knows that he or she cannot, will not, reach their highest potential, their highest good in Christ, until he or she is connected 
with others in ways that allow us to function at full capacity. So TCF, and indeed any local church, must be a place that encourages interdependence. We bring the gift that God's invested in us as individuals, and we merge it with others of differing gifts. And together, we become much more than the sum of our parts. A related sidebar here. Now, this isn't just about attending Sunday service. This isn't just about attending a house church meeting each week. This is about involvement too, folks. This is about service. So when you see a notice in the bulletin that we have a volunteer need, or when you get a call from the church office or from one of the elders because we have something you'd like to consider, we'd like you to consider doing, we trust that you will seriously consider it and not take the attitude, well, gee, this is not my responsibility. We need you here, but we also just as much need you involved. Again, if this doesn't apply to you, and hey, you think, I'm already involved, and I'm involved up to my ears, I thank you for your faithfulness, and I thank you for your service. But if the shoe does fit here, please don't walk around barefooted. Put it on. The fact is we need each other, folks. We need each other. I need you. I need each and every one of you. You need me, and I can't do your job, and you can't do mine. If the hand doesn't do its job, the rest of the body suffers. If the big toe doesn't do his job, the rest of the body suffers. So I need people like the Eason's and the McWilliams, not the least reason being because I know they pray faithfully for me, and I need that. I need Dave because by his servant's life, Dave challenges my pride and my self-sufficiency. I need Joel and Jody because they are encouragers, and they're amazingly positive in the midst of difficult things. And I need that. I need that encouragement. I need that admonition to stay positive, to stay joyful. Thank you, Heather, too. I need Jim Garrett and Jim Grinnell because they keep me humble by making me the butt of their sermon jokes. <laughs> now, if I left you out of this list, it's not because I don't need you too, because I do. I need all of you. It's because I don't want to preach for another hour listing why I need all of you. I miss you when you're not here. What's more, I find great joy in seeing you when you are here. Another analogy I thought of some years ago while enjoying the view on the deck of my in-law's lake house. I sat there watching the trees all around me swaying in the breeze, and I thought, you know, the church is like a tree too, even as we individuals are often compared to trees in Scripture in some places. We all draw our sustenance from the same soil, the moisture in the soil, but we need each other to get to that, don't we? Think about it. I may be a branch. I may be the bark on the tree. I may be a leaf, but I'm not in a position to be that without the rest of the tree. I need the bottom of the tree. I need that big trunk at the bottom, and then I need where the roots go into the ground and draw the moisture that I need to thrive. The bottom of the tree, think about it, is, is more well-established. It's sturdier. You can, with maybe a smaller tree, you can actually reach up the top and move it and sway it. But in the bottom of a tree, even a smaller tree, it's a lot harder to do that, right? So the bottom of the tree is more well-established. It's sturdy. Those are the believers in the church who've been growing in the Lord longer than I have. And they sway less in the wind. The winds of life, the trials, they don't seem to uh, cause them to sway quite as much. 
And even though being at the bottom means they might see less sunshine, uh, especially if they're in a forest, the rain might not hit them directly like it hits the top of the tree. They are closer to the real source of supply than I am, so I need them. Now the top of the tree sees more sunshine, and the top of the tree gets the rain first, but it also dries the fastest after the rain, and it sways more in the breeze. Yet it's still connected, and it still stays green because it's connected to the tree, connected to one another. So looking at the trees this day that I was thinking about this, I noticed that some of the branches on some of the trees had gotten disconnected, probably in some kind of a windstorm, right? They were still clinging to the tree, but just barely. And because of that, the leaves on those branches had turned brown, and the bark was looking a little bit brittle. And it was just a matter of time before they dropped off the tree. And that's because they weren't connected to the source anymore. The truth remains, we need each other. We need each other. Last week, you remember what Jim Garrett spoke about when he quoted Thomas Paine, who said, these are the times that try men's souls. Jim encouraged us to look to our source, remembering that through this life, we're tried, we're tested, and though that's true, and though it challenges our souls, we were recreated in Christ for something better. So what do we do? We look forward to a better country, as it said in Hebrews 11. We look forward to eternity with Christ. Now I'd like to connect that idea to this week's theme. If these are the times that try men's souls, and I think that's true for many of us personally, I think that's certainly true for us corporately, it's true for Christians in our culture, then we cannot do this alone. We can't do this alone. Clearly the Lord walks with us, and He never leaves us, and he never forsakes us. The Lord is our source. Yet, it's just as clear that we individuals are meant to be his instruments of peace and encouragement, bringing God's grace and strength to one another. Right? In times like these, Jim said, we need to remember our eternal destiny in Christ. In times like these, I would add, we need each other. If we ever needed each other, and we always have, but if we ever needed each other, we need each other now. If we ever needed each other, we need each other now in this day, in this time. That's why in the chapter previous to what Jim focused on last week, he read things from Hebrews chapter 11. We see these verses in Hebrews chapter 10. It's also on the cover of your bulletin this morning. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we see some key things here. It says, let us consider. So I guess that means all of us, doesn't it? That means all of us believers in Christ. It says we should stir one another to love and to good works. There's a lot of ways we can do that. We can do that verbally. You know, some of that's happening when we have our greeting time together here. Some of that will happen after the service this morning. We can do that by the examples that I quoted just a moment ago when I listed the people here that I need. Those are other ways we can stir one another to love and good deeds. But it also says in verse 25, it says, not neglecting to meet together. And then it adds, as is the habit of some. So 
that's a little freeing in some way. It's not a legalistic statement saying never miss church. No reasons, no excuses. It's a gentle admonition. It's a gentle admonition to not neglect meeting together, to not make it a habit. If your habit is joining the fellowships of the saints here at TCF on Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, whatever, if your habit is that, then good. If your habit becomes neglecting the meeting, then here's the Word of God speaking this morning to you. We meet together to stir one another to love and good deeds. We meet together to encourage one another. That happens in the preaching of the Word. That happens in our prayers for one another. That happens in our one-on-one interaction with one another. It's not unusual when the elders pray for the morning service for us to pray about those one-on-one interactions, that the Holy Spirit would be active in those things and that we would indeed be encouraging one another. We cannot do that apart from being with each other, from being with each other often, regularly, faithfully. It's virtually impossible to be a Christian in isolation. Now clearly, there are circumstances where that's all you got, and God is faithful in those circumstances. But the norm, and we're all living in the norm here, folks, the norm is that we need to be together. The New International Commentary says of this passage, Christians are exhorted to consider how they can spur one another toward love and good deeds. These things are the essences of Christianity. Since their maintenance is dependent upon the mutual interaction of Christian society, it is absolutely essential that one assemble himself with other Christians if he is to be assured of continued spiritual development. That's an important thing, folks. I think everybody here wants to be assured of continued spiritual development. Everybody wants to grow in Christ. But here Paul's saying to us, or I'm sorry, the writer of Hebrews is saying to us, you have to be together. That has to be part of it. That must be part of it. Any type of go-it-alone Christianity is unthinkable to the writer of Hebrews who deplores the fact that in the face of the appending day, there are those who neglect to meet together. And so this verse in Hebrews also tells us that we need to be together and encourage one another even more as we see the day approaching. In other words, if we ever needed each other, we need each other now. Many commentators believe this is referring to the day of the Lord, the second coming of Christ. In that sense, the underlying assumption is that in times like these, we need each other all the more. Again, folks, we are a body. We need each other just as much as the fingers need the hand, just as much as the hand needs the arm, just as much as the arm needs the shoulder, just as much as the big toe needs all the other little toes. We also see the word body used in a passage prior to the one we read in 1 Corinthians 12. We see it, Paul using that in 1 Corinthians 10, where he writes, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ and is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ because there is one loaf we who are many are one body for we all partake of one loaf so the church isn't an institution it's a family it's a participation the word there's koinonia it's a koinonia the church is a koinonia a participation a fellowship in the body of Christ 
So institutions are based upon and they're held together by status and rank. And a lot of institutions wouldn't work unless that was true. Soldiers and armies know exactly where they rank. In business, salary and title and other perks, they signify your status. I once worked for a guy, a true story, who had a raised desk. He, his desk was on a platform, and the soft chairs in front of it were below that desk. So when you sat down in his office, you were kind of looking up at him. I think that was very intentional, very much by design. He wanted you to know your place, and your place was below him, literally and physically. In an institution, status derives from performance. And now in families, status works differently, doesn't it? A child is part of a family by virtue of birth or adoption, solely. That makes you part of the family. You don't have to do anything to earn it. You're there. As believers in Christ, we are born into and we are adopted into his family. Philip Yancey once wrote, Family is the one human institution we have no choice about. We get in simply by being born, and as a result, we are involuntarily thrown together with a menagerie of strange and unlike people. Don't all of you start looking around. Church calls for another step, to voluntarily choose, to band together with a strange menagerie because of a common bond in Jesus Christ. Henry Nguyen wants to find a community as a place where the person you least want to live with always lives. Don't look around again. <clears throat> There's another story. <clears throat> I don't know if this is a true story or if it's kind of a made-up apocryphal kind of story, but it's a good one anyway, so I'll preface it with that. And that's a story about in a certain mountain village in Europe several centuries ago, there was a nobleman who wondered what kind of a legacy he should leave for the townspeople. And finally he decided the best thing that he could do would be to build a church. So the complete plans for this church were kept secret. And when the people gathered, they marveled at the beauty of the church and how complete it seemed to be. But following many comments of praise, one person asked, well, where are the lamps? How are we going to light this church? And without answer, the nobleman pointed to some brackets in the wall, and then he gave to each family a lamp to be carried to the worship service and hung on the wall there. And he said, each time you are here, the area where you are seated will be lighted. Each time you are not here, that area will be dark. Whenever you fail to come to church, some part of God's house will be dark. Isn't that an interesting thing to think about? We need each other. When you're not here, something is missing when you're not here. To use the analogy of the story we just heard, it's darker here when you're not here. Why do we need to be here? Why is it important for us to be here regularly? Well, there's a lot of reasons. But at least one reason is that life is tough. Anybody notice that? Life is tough. Our emotional, our physical, our spiritual resources are drained by the challenges of life. But God has made the means of grace for our strength to be renewed and our love and good works to be stirred up in the midst of these challenges of life. So his word tells us to not give up meeting together, not to neglect one of the means of grace that he has given us to sustain us emotionally and spiritually. So let's think for a moment again about that pendulum analogy that I talked about a moment ago. I don't want this pendulum on TCF's attitude toward being in church to swing all the way back to where we were 30 to 35 years ago. But I do think we need to see that pendulum swing and stay put 
in a general direction towards that. Ultimately, we always want people to hear from God for themselves about the priorities in their lives, okay? We don't want to make the decisions about where you go and what you do. But we really do want you to be hearing from God. And we hope that hearing the, what the Word of God has to say about these things, not just what I say, helps you truly hear from God about your priorities. We want you to hear from God and not your flesh so you can sleep in. We want you to hear from God and not from your culture, which says Sundays are a day for sports or recreation. Now, let me be absolutely clear here. There's nothing wrong with sleeping in. There's nothing wrong with sports and recreation. There's nothing wrong with taking the kids to see Grandma. And if you miss church to do these things, even though it might be better if you did them on Saturday, it has absolutely no impact on your standing before God. And even though for reasons we've already discussed, we do miss you when you're not here, it has no impact on your standing with us as your brothers and sisters in Christ here at TCF. But when you miss often, when you do those things often for a host of reasons, it could be any of the reasons we mentioned or something else, consider how this might reflect the priority you put on this admonition from God's Word to not neglect meeting together, to not forsake meeting together. It puts you at risk in your faith because you place yourself at risk of being like that dismembered hand that we talked about, disconnected from the life flow of blood from the body. The passage in Hebrews 10 says that some people are in the habit of doing this. If you think about habits for a minute, how are habits formed? Clearly there are good habits and there are bad habits, and they're both kind of formed the same way, similarly at least. You form good or bad habits by doing something again and again and again and again, just repeating it, until it's so ingrained in you that it's second nature and it's hard not to do. I hate to exercise, but I'm in the habit of doing it. So I'll do it six days just about every week, and when I don't, for whatever reason, I actually miss it. I don't like it but I actually miss it. Because why? I'm in the habit of doing it. I have a hard time not going to exercise. Not because I enjoy it, but because it's a habit. So let's consider church attendance and involvement and the snowball effect related to building good habits versus bad habits. The more you miss church, the easier it is to miss and the harder it is to go. Been there, done that. Like I said, I was out of house church for about four years. I got in the habit of not going anymore. And it was easy. It was easier to do. Now, the flip side is true, too. The more you go to church, the easier it is to go and the harder it is to miss. Now, I don't want anybody coming up to me after the service today and saying, gee, Bill, do you think such and such is good enough reason to miss church on Sunday or to not be involved in this or that? The particulars are not nearly as important as our heart's attitude. The specifics aren't that important, folks. It's our heart's attitude. What is our priority? Is meeting together with the TCF saints vital to us or isn't it? Is that important to us? I believe the Word of God clearly teaches that being together with the saints is to be a top priority in our lives. So the only question to ask you this morning is, is it a priority for you? I want to close with a passage from Ephesians chapter 2 beginning with verse 19. 
And I want you to take note of how many times in this passage it talks of being together in three short verses. Ephesians 2:19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens. There's one. With God's people and members of God's household. There's another. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. With Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together. There's another one. And rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built, how? Together. To become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Don't we want to do that, folks? Don't we want to be built together into a dwelling by which God lives by his spirit? Amen? Heavenly Father, thank you for this great admonition. Father, to encourage one another, to stir one another up to love and good deeds, and to not give up meeting together. We're grateful, Father, you love us enough to give us the means of grace to deal with difficult times. And Father, in times like these, we need each other, Father. If ever we needed each other, Lord, we need each other now. Help us to remember that, Lord, as we ponder in the coming days and weeks and months whether, gee, you know, should I do this or should I go to church? Should I be with my brothers and sisters in Christ? Should I be in house church? Should I be at this or that? Should I be involved in this or that? Lord, help us to hear your voice and not the voices of our own flesh, not the voices of our own culture, but help us to truly hear your voice and respond to your grace because you give us the means to connect with one another, to be refreshed and renewed and stirred up to love and good deeds, and, Father, to grow in Christ. This is one of the means you've given, Father, as we are together. And we thank you for these truths, and we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen.